Chapter 5, A Tale of Two Columns There are no dangerous thoughts. Thinking itself is dangerous. Hannah Arendt, political philosopher. Our job is to tell the truth, the trailblazing Washington journalist Helen Thomas advised. It's our only job. Helen was good at it. Once asked to describe the difference between being President of the United States and Prime Minister of Cuba, Fidel Castro didn't hesitate. I don't have to answer questions from Helen Thomas. Thomas was the first female member of the White House Press Corps, aptly eulogized in 2013 by the Washington Post as the feisty scourge of presidents. She sat in the front row of presidential news conferences and had the privilege of asking the all-important first question, beginning with John F. Kennedy onward. Then George Bush froze her out, refusing to acknowledge her for three years. Here and now, Helen would ask the crucial question, precisely what had prompted the hysteria surrounding me in the federal election of 2008. What indeed could a workaday journalist bent over a keyboard in the wilderness possibly have said that would cause Canada's two major political parties, the Conservatives and the Liberals, and the national media to go ballistic a full six years after it was published? The Liberals' Greenlight Committee interviews all potential candidates. Months before the 2008 election, when they asked me whether I had ever written anything that would embarrass the Liberals, I could not suppress my laughter. Good Lord, I said, I certainly hope so. As a newspaper columnist, I was no stranger to controversy and criticism. Writing opinion pieces about substantive public issues is not a place for the thin-skinned. It was my job to hold to account anyone who enjoyed the public trust. I answered the Liberals' question candidly, explaining there was one column that might come up, but I was prepared to stand by it. The column I warned them about had appeared one week after 9-11 under the heading, Unknown to the General Public. Rick Johnson, my highly esteemed editor at Transcontinental Weeklies, called me when he received it. I'm going to print this as is, Rick told me, and then I'm leaving town. As he had anticipated, all hell broke loose when my column hit Winnipeg doorsteps. Residents of an entire street called Transcontinental to say they did not want the paper anymore, and one newspaper carrier took 137 copies directly back to the publisher, flatly refusing to deliver them. The column later won an award from the Canadian Community Newspapers Association, the CCNA, for what it called the passionate defense of innocent civilians around the world. This column was perceived as intolerably disloyal to our sacred allies, the Americans, at their lowest moment. It was shocking because, before September 11, 2001, the public had little awareness of American foreign policy compared to what they would learn as unintended consequences of the New York disaster. The Disney-Hollywood image of the U.S. 
as a wholesome icon for the rest of the world, died a reluctant but inevitable death over the next couple of decades. To my utter amazement, unknown to the general public, was not the column which had now bitten me, as well as the liberals, in a particularly sensitive part of the body. A later column, Get the Truth, would be more fertile ground for the anonymous blogger who sparked the movement to discredit me as a candidate for Parliament. This one appeared in May of 2002, eight months after 9-11, just after four Canadian soldiers were killed in Afghanistan by American-friendly fire. Canadians took the soldiers' death very hard, and it seemed the right time to question once again whether our country should be supporting the U.S. in its retaliatory invasion there. Compared to unknown, yet the truth produced no reaction, no mass cancellation, no refusal to deliver, no complaints from Jewish advocates, no angry mob at the door of my long-suffering editor, Rick Johnson. The United Church of Canada posted the column on their Peace and Justice website, where it remained for six years, eliciting no objections or attacks. Three weeks before Canada's federal election of 2008, exactly one day after nominations closed, the anonymous Winnipeg blogger who had squirreled away a copy of Get the Truth dug it out, put a spin on it, and labeled it as a vicious anti-Israel rant, on his website. The blogger insisted that my reporting Mossad's warning to Americans meant that the Israeli tenants knew what was coming and cold-heartedly left everyone else to die. Well, that was his opinion, not mine. The blogger further accused me of criticizing Israel. In fact, I had not criticized Israel, Germany, or Russia, all of whom had publicly claimed to forewarn the Americans about the events of 9-11. In journalism, an opinion is not a story. Nevertheless, the blogger's opinion that I was anti-Semitic became the story. A big one. Stephen Harper was campaigned to win Jewish support, and his inflammatory comments on the column that he had not read gave this spin great legs. Now I find myself nationally vilified for being a conspiracy nut and for spewing anti-Israel sentiments. My work is being twisted to bring pain and anxiety to many people who live daily with the suppressed fear of persecution. Innocent friends and associates are tainted by a relationship with me. Trying to absorb it all, I dimly remember that I have a right to know my accusers and confront them. But the lies are too big and the believers are too many.